The definition of ambition is a strong desire and passion to succeed. And hers truly welcomes you to what we call Africa's unsung heroes. They gonna love me for my ambition. This is Abidi, and this is another episode of Africa's Unsung Heroes coming to you live all the way from University of Mpumalanga. This was quite unique because the guest I have today, we know each other, but we don't know each other. So as sort of comfortable as I am, it's also exciting because it's new for me. So yeah, man, let's get this started. Welcome, Meshach. Thank you for this platform, really. Um, I truly enjoy being with you and I look forward to everything that is about to unfold. How do you like enjoy being with me when we've never spent time together? <laughs> no, I like actually the part of you that I've met yeah. is quite interesting and it kind of brings up a lot of questions or just a few, but <laughs> interesting enough. So yeah, those questions are enough for me to want to know more. Look, if we get time, maybe, but it's not about me. It's about you today, you know? Yeah. Um, I always say that um, Africa's Unsung is about trying to enlighten young people about black consciousness, you know, um, sort of like self-awareness, who we are, what we are about and who we're trying to become, you know. And I wanted to ask you, what do you understand black consciousness as in your own space? Not textbook, not dictionary, just like, you know, when you think of that phrase. Okay. Um, thanks for the question. And all right. According to me, well, firstly, I don't think I have the textbook definition of it because I've never really engaged with that kind of subject. Mm. So according to me, black consciousness would be more like a learning curve for black people to be able to understand exactly where they come from and what they need to do in order to survive or succeed in their journeys and to be able to better themselves in economically and a personally developmental way. So I suppose it's something that everyone should be aware of and also takes seriously. But then like, how do you expect or how would people, you know, better themselves through black consciousness and what efforts, you know, education, experience, conversation, challenges? Um, personally, I believe that education is actually the key, but in the actually, in the environment we're living in, um, education has been defined in a different way. So for me, education is not necessarily school, but um, learning anything new. So when people get educated about some things, um, that would be the conversation they need, especially the things that they need to survive. For example, skills, personal skills, development, and other tiny skills that could help them in some way other than school because I've noticed that almost every black person has this idea that they have to go to school to succeed but a lot of them end up not succeeding and they think school is education but education has school in it so school is part of being educated in a different way so a lot of black people who have not gone to school are educated much more than those who went to school so I believe education for black people it's different from school because remember school actually came with um, the first world countries mm. and we're already on our own being educated and succeeding in what we did so I just believe that school will be just one of the ways to be educated if you can 
But for me, education is anything that can help you survive and you gain experience from it and also it pushes you forward. Do you think black people are self-entitled? Yeah, we're we going there. <laughs> <laughs> this is uncensored and raw, man. We ain't got time to sugarcoat things. Do you honestly think black people are self-entitled that, you know what, as much as you say we are educated and stuff, do we really take ambition to go out and seek knowledge? As Africans, because I personally don't. I feel like we feel like everything must just be given to us on a silver platter. Case in point, kids strike a lot. What are you really striking for? You're striking for money when you've never worked, paid taxes or know what your credit score is. So <laughs> with that said, do you think African and young African people are a little bit self-entitled? All right. Um, so in some way, yeah, they, they are. But I feel like, okay, those who are actually much more educated um, previously or who are much more conscious about this black life, um, because in the past, we actually were able to do everything on our own and we never expected things to be handed over to us. Mm. And then the yeah, Industrial Revolution came and we expected that things would be done for us. So I feel like things changed. Now we are self-titled and in the past we weren't. Actually, it's more like we changed our mentality and our views in life. We, it's more like we actually changed our purpose and our missions because the way things used to be back then and comparing that to now, it's very different. Right now, black people are more relaxed and they're actually taking less um, time to learn mm. and they don't want to do much more work they want to sit back and relax and let everything be done for themselves. They want to live the soft life. Young people call it these days. So, Amen. That's just something that came with the first world countries because, <laughs> because that's their thing. That's what they created. So for us, it was always hard work. And we have to work to get where you want to go. And you have to work to get what you want. So right now, black people want to live the first world country's life, but they don't have those resources and they don't have that kind of understanding really of what's going on because they are actually forced to to work hard even by nature and yet they want to change into being first world participants but yeah like michelle think about it this way you know we want those things then why don't we want to learn how to acquire those things because my thing is though i i follow what you're saying actually i agree with what you're saying um, I just want to break it down in context where I'm like, you say we're hard workers. It's something we are accustomed and used to. So what stopped along the way? What do you think made us turn left to say, well, oh, I'm so tired of working hard. Um, I deserve that, and, but I don't need to do it the hard way anymore. Yeah, yeah that's a good question. But um, with that, um, I think that it's actually the fact that we actually want to copy um, the better life, which is from the first world countries. And the reason for that was because we were given this mentality that in life you can actually get what you want by not having to work hard for it. But that's actually the first world country's life because they can and they do have those means and we don't. So we want to force to change, we want to actually force change into our lives that is actually not that, not that fruitful for us and is not really beneficial because we don't have those means and it's more like living a lie because mm. we all know that black people are suppressed. 
and we are forced to work for what we want, even in this current state. So the people want to jump that working stage and be on top. Mm. But that's just the first world countries because they are already on top and they were able to get there because they were able to suppress us first. So I believe that well, black people are actually trying to copy that and they are trying to make it a norm for everyone to be able to get on top without having to work hard for it. We don't want to work for anything. We don't want to do anything for ourselves in order to get what we want. Instead, we just want to get there. It's just like someone saying, I want to quit school because um, I want to be a musician. Mm. Sometimes you don't have to quit school because you want to be a musician. You may be skilled in music, but you may not have necessarily the means and access into that industry. So if you continue with school and then you go to the media industry after that, then you can have access uh, as much as you want. But some people do actually, for example, in America, you or in the first world countries, it's much easier to get access to this uh, media industry mm. other than Africa because here you have to go, go to school and learn that department and also graduate and go to that university that offers that kind of field you want. Mm. So in the first world countries, it's different. Um, for example, I've never seen or watched a movie in which they depict um, students having to go to university. They always talk about college, which is something different to university if you put it in the third world country system. Mm. Because in the third world countries, a college is is actually considered to be much lower in advancements and standard compared to university. As university has much more class and mm. standard, apparently. <laughs> so, well, I feel like that's actually the wrong depiction of it because a college university have the same weight. In university, you get more degrees or you get the paper. In college, you get the experience too. So a college, to me, is much better than university. The only thing is that as we are actually suppressed or given this idea that or we should actually go to university, while the first world countries who gave us that mentality are not doing the same. Why? Because they can tell, okay, they actually, I don't want to say they're smart, but I just want to say something different. <laughs> I don't like saying this much. Why are you in university and not college if you are actually making these kind of statements? Exactly. The system I was brought up to, the system I was grown up into, and mm. um, it's like in my, in my neighborhood, um, someone who's in college and someone who's in university, they are viewed way too differently. Too differently. Like, if you're in university, like, I can tell when I'm home, during the holidays, everyone is, even people who, who are not used to me, people who are, I'm not really close to, they'll be actually happy to see me and they'll be asking me about schoolwork and stuff and what I'm doing, what I want to do later on. And if it's any interest, if it's only if any interest to them, and I ask myself, why are they suddenly taking interest to me? Mm. So those who are in college, actually, they are viewed to, I want to, this is something that is actually kind of offensive, but well, it's just something they say. Um, people who are in college are considered to to have less success in life or to have succeeded less than those who are in university. I don't know why, but I just... You, do, you believe it? No, not really. The thing is, those who are in college also get that same uh, mentality because it's the system that we are all brought up to. So they also believe that college is 
actually way less than university. But in college, they do get more experience than us. With us, it takes a long time to get experience. And then in college, it's easier to get a job afterwards because you graduate with experience already. So I don't really like that mentality because, well, it's not our thing. Firstly, school is not our thing as black people. We didn't invent school. It is something that I find is an obstacle sometimes because there are more people who are actually schooled but don't have jobs and cannot succeed in what they want. And you find that without the paper in life, you failed. And unfortunately, in the past, it wasn't like that. In life, you were actually supposed to have a skill. And right now, you're supposed to have the paper for it, which is something that leads to corruption sometimes because people can create paper. You can get any paper you want without having a skill. Mm -hmm. So that's why I call failure, actually, because you actually end up having the paper for the job, but you don't have the skill. And then what happens later on, you lose what you are supposed to do and you actually have to take a step back. So I just feel like as black people, we are, I don't believe we can change this situation really. Really? I don't, th- I don't see any possible outcomes that, are, that would benefit us because firstly, uh, the development of first world countries comes from us. We are actually supporting their development. And they make us believe that they're actually the ones growing our system. So then, for me, it's like we are actually stuck in a cycling, a loop. So, the first world countries are siphoning resources from us to develop themselves. And then we are willingly giving them the resources. And in turn, they pay us for those resources. The amount that they believe is fair. So... As black people, we are actually not aware of that. Actually, we are now, but back then, we're not aware. Mm. Hence, we actually allow, we allowed ourselves to be stuck in the system because we believe it was the right choice. So, I don't know if there's any possible uh, outcome that would benefit us to be able to succeed on our own without depending on first world countries and other developed countries because there's a reason why we are classified in countries as developing countries and underdeveloped countries and developed countries. Mm-hmm. So those underdeveloped countries have all the resources they need. Those rural areas we have um, have way more space for land, uh, for farming. So that is actually the best resource right now because farm agriculture or the primary sector is the fuel for the economy. And yet we actually realized that just now. But we used to do that back then. What led us to being so susceptible to this change that they brought to us, that led to us being in this illusion that they should be the one taking over everything? Because right now, developed countries don't want to look at rural areas. Instead, they want to build cities and make it developed uh, countries too. While those uh, cities or developments that they're bringing are also uh, decreasing our own success. So I just feel like as black people, we, well, I feel like as black people, you trying to say there's no hope for us. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. You know, that's actually... <laughs> maybe. But it's just that um, I don't really do hope much. But I do have hope. It's just that sometimes I feel like we should look at the facts, the reality. Because you can rely on hope. But if you have nothing to change or nothing to do in order to inflict that change that you want, you can't say you have hope. I only say I hope when I've done something and only waiting for the outcome and I'm unable to 
actually evaluate based on my effort. But if I can evaluate based on my effort and I can be sure that this effort will produce this much result, then I won't say I hope because I'll just be waiting for the outcome. It's just like uh, putting water on a hot stove, waiting for it to boil. You can't say you hope the water will boil. Science can say that it will boil. So for me, it's just always having to call it the fact and then understanding what will happen if this happens and that happens. So for us, I feel like, well, we can't really hope for ourselves to mm. get out of this. Mm. We should do something about it. Although I've seen many movements and campaigns uh, trying to warn us or trying to change our mentalities about this situation, this first world, third world country systems, but I haven't seen any succeed. Mm. Mm. I'm just afraid, actually. <laughs> Interesting. Before we move forward, you said people you know, need to take a step back, especially like after failure. So let's take a step back first. Yeah. Who is Mishak? And, you know, take us back home. Take us back to your childhood. Take us back to who you were as a kid. And, you know, almost the evolution of how you have become who you are at this point in your life. We don't need your ID number, but we need a good <laughs> amount of context. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. Meshach is just another kid. Although I don't like um, fitting in and I don't like being a regular guy in the hood and I don't like being like anyone. So me being born and bred in Bowton, uh, it's a township. The kind of system or the kind of neighborhood or society I was born into is way too black. You know, they are actually casual and it's different from cities. So my life as a kid, it was for me, since I was born to that system, it was very interesting. I was always a people's person and my family was always out and about. They were always going out and having fun with people. So I was also like that and I was grown up to be someone who's, who doesn't really care what other people are thinking of you as long as you're doing the right thing. Do the right thing for yourself and other people as well. So if you're doing something good for someone, and then a third person doesn't like it. It doesn't matter because you're not actually doing it for them. You're doing it for your own good because I was taught that it, once you do something good, you also get something good in return, maybe tenfold, as the Bible says. And since I was raised in a Christian home, um, since I was born, really, I was born, my mom was a prophet, my dad was a bishop in Zion. So... Each time, I always had lessons about life, generally and spiritually. So for me, growing up was, well, I wouldn't say easy, but interesting enough. And when I look at my friends or some of the people I live with, our lives are different. My life is much more free and allowing. For others, it's different. And in my house, we have a lot of rules, but... They're not, they're not strict as others. For example, it's the difference between a boy and a girl in a family. Yeah, at home, well, they don't really have much of that. So me growing up was a lot of freedom. And that freedom actually taught me a lot of things. Things like what to do with the freedom I have and how to use it to my own advantage. 
because my my mom actually was like, you know, I won't actually tell you what to do yeah. or when to do it, but I want you to know exactly what is right and what is wrong. And then you decide on your own. But if you fail to to make a good decision, I'll teach you the right, the right way, and you have to stick to it because you failed on your own. So we're always given the environment to evaluate on our own. And as I grew up, well, I attended public schools and I met a lot of friends. But once I got to a certain stage where I was able to defer, to define friend, that's when I realized that I have much less friends than I thought. Um, this is because I've been through some shit. Yeah, because... What is that shit? Because <laughs> it sounds like a very reflective process that you've been through combined with actual experiences as it's happening. So for me, I, that's what I want to know that, you know, <laughs> what were those moments in your childhood or your upbringing that really shaped and defined a lot of your, your thinking and your, your opinions and your moments? Okay, well, firstly, uh, with friendships, I, I always love friendships. I do. And growing up, I believe that when you have friends, well, you have a lot to gain and you're actually better than someone who doesn't have friends. But that changed when, yeah, that shit happened. Shit like some of the closest friends I thought I had were actually, let's just say they turned on me how? in different ways. How? Like, That's what we want to know. How? Okay. Well, it's not very, it's not a very fun story, but some of my friends were actually against me in a way that, academically speaking also, because that was the first time I realized and my parents realized too. Academically, um, some of the friends I had were against me in a way that they wouldn't actually um, applaud my success. They were always against my, my academic success. They were always, they were always fronting on me. Um, they wouldn't celebrate with all of us if I get an achievement, an academic achievement. They would feel jealous and envy. And the Bible says that envy is one of the deadly sins. So I didn't realize at first until it got to a certain point where my, my parents actually intervened in other, in other ways. Serious. So, yeah. What happened? I need to know the story. You didn't know everything, didn't you? Yeah, that's why I'm having this conversation. You know, I could have just probably gone and read a book or something. But hey, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. And for me, the more we speak about what it is, helps us to also not just reflect more on ourselves, but for other people to start reflecting in their own spaces about, hey, funny enough, I think I've actually been through that. I just never saw it in that light, you know, but you need context for that. Right. Mm. All right. Since I was grown up in a, an African house, really, or a neighborhood, um, I'm not sure if you are actually aware of such subjects as black magic and witchcraft and traditional healers and stuff. But, well, some of the people I, I knew back then, well, they were into those things. And unfortunately, it happened to be one of my friends, whom about whom actually I only found out very late, like way too late. Um, because since high school, um, 
I think it was around grade 10, since grade 10 years. Since then, out of all the friends I was close to, some or most of them were actually against me and they were out to get me actually. I was one of their biggest competitions. And the worst part was that they were not trying to be ahead of me. They just wanted me out of the way. So in any way possible, um, I just almost lose everything academically. I lose my mind. And yeah, um, I remember one time when my parents actually asked me about my friends and I told them about them, all of them. And they asked me who my closest friend is. And I told them, when I asked why, they said, keep your enemies, keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer. Mm. When I asked what that means, they told me that if you have an enemy or if you're an enemy to someone, that enemy would always want you to be closest to them. Why? Because they want to know your weaknesses. And so they can use that to your downfall. And at first I thought they're just exaggerating or they're really not understanding this thing. Maybe it's just a hiccup. But then time went on and it got worse. And it got to a point where it got physical. Like a fight? Almost. Um, It was just way too tragic for me. But not fight. I haven't really... I only fought a few times in my life. My friend, actually, my closest one, the one my friend, my parents had told me about, at that time, there are three things he did. Firstly, it was in grade 11. Since he always had this beef with me and competition against me, my friends, the ones I studied with at school, the ones I stay up all night with, the ones I uh, take extra classes with, we'd always celebrate and we'd always help each other whenever we lose something, whenever we need something, and throw our downfalls. But then he was always there whenever he needed something. And at that time, he was always against my success. He always wanted to make sure that I actually fail in any way possible, in an inexplicable way. Because I wouldn't have answers to those questions. How would I fail those? And my parents actually told me about this um, African magic things. I, I'm really not into traditional medicine. So I took it lightly. Mm. And they proved to me multiple times and I'm kind of ashamed of that, embarrassed because I didn't believe it until it happened again. So currently my brother is a Sangong. So back then he wasn't, but my parents actually did some digging and they found out that my closest friend is the one against me and is the one actually taking me down. And then I was okay and I was like, okay, fine. I won't, I'll just take a step back and try to move away from him. But it was kind of difficult. So later on in 2018, that was actually the first thing he did that got me pissed off. I had a girlfriend and out of all my friends, you know, I used to be a group and we used to chill together almost every time. So there was this new girl in town and every guy was out to get her. And then I got her first. We dated for some time and 
all the guys, you know how township guys are whenever you get the hottest chick in town. You know, no, I don't actually. Like, you should tell me. What? The, ah, no way. <laughs> no, I don't. You know that that's the beauty of it because that's why we call them Africa's unsung. You know, other people who are not from Africa and only hear the story have seen things, heard things, but it's only as true as it is when someone actually says, "This is the reality, and this was my life." You know. Yeah. All right. Well, actually, to be more accurate, township guys, or should I say, in general. Most guys who hang out in groups, whenever they are all into the same chick, and one of them happens to acquire that girl and they date, the rest would actually, we call it bowing down to that guy because we view it as you're the king because you're able to hook that up and none of us could, especially if they've tried and failed. So some of the guys did try, a few of them. And then I took my shot and I love that chick. Well, we did it for some time. And guess what? That one friend of mine is the only one who never celebrated that success. And I, I did notice, but I just, I just waited actually to see what would unfold after that. And then as time went on, I actually, well, he was always against my relationship with her. The, the other guys were always cool with it. They always, they always excited to see her and stuff. They always talking about her, and he was the only one. He was like the outlier in that conversation. So you picked up the jealousy from there. Yeah, a lot of it, and I knew that the way he is, he may be someone to actually do something drastic about it, just to get rid of me. And those part, I knew that even if we were to break up you also wouldn't be able to get that chick. And then later on, um, in September 2018, he broke us up, if I may say, and I have a lot of pride. My pride actually precedes me. So in 2018, when we broke up, actually it was just out of the blue, to be honest, because I was with her uh, for almost half the day, and then later that day, she called me over and we talked for some time again. And then she wanted to break up with me. At that point, I was just confused about one thing. I knew I hadn't done anything to upset her in any way. And if I had, I would have loved to know. Mm. And she didn't want to say me, she didn't want to tell me anything really. She never wanted to say anything at all. She never wanted to tell me nothing. I asked for the reason, really, because that's the only thing I asked for. Okay, she wants to break up with me, fine. I'm okay with that. Although it's a very big loss for me, but I understand it's her decision. Well, I'm not a very forceful person. So I asked her for the reason, because so I can just clear my mind. She didn't want to tell me. I insisted. Well, she was afraid, actually, of telling me. She told me that she's afraid of telling me because I might do something wrong. When I asked, what is it exactly? Because I am not a violent person. If it's someone, I won't confront anyone. She was afraid. Two days later, I actually went to, went to her again. I asked her. She still was very doubtful about telling me. I insisted again, and then she finally cracked and she told me. But before she told me, the first thing she said that surprised me was that I should promise her that I won't tell him. 
And then I was even more confused. Tell who what? She told me that, okay, my friend, the one actually who was always against me and stuff, but closest to me, is the one who told her everything about me. At that moment, I was really shocked as to what she knows and what he told her because everything about me and everything that led to her wanting to break up with me. Now, that was a mess. She told me that he told her that I have a lot of girlfriends. I think she said five girlfriends at that time. And that's like not you though. That is not me. She said he told her that um, usually on Fridays, every afternoon, after school, I will go to the other school, uh, Babaton Secondary, uh, to meet my other girlfriends, and I would bully him and embarrass him in front of my girlfriends and stuff. You know, that is non-existent. Firstly, uh, I'm not a confrontational person, and I don't do bullying. I'm shy, and I don't date more than one chick at a time. And at that time, I was, I was actually unable to approach different chicks or even approach a chick at a time. So I was confused as to why she believed all that. And she actually decided to conclude on that and break up with me before actually doing a homework or even asking me about it. I know asking me wouldn't be one of the options because the first thing she would think of was that I would deny everything. But why doesn't she do her homework then? Why doesn't she do research about me and stuff? And, you know, my first impression was just a chuckle at the time. I just chuckled because Serious. I... Seriously, <laughs> I chuckled. <laughs> For some reason, I was like, wow, this world is interesting. And then I asked her, do you believe him? She said, well, he's your friend and he's your best friend. So how, how wouldn't I believe him? At that point... I knew right then that there's no such thing we call a friend and there is actually, it's like we're actually living in a lie at some point when we believe that there are people who know us. Because that guy knows me, knows me very well. And she, well, she knows me partly. And the fact that he was able to create that whole story and to be like honest, the betrayal though, like it was deep. You know, that was a lot to take. To even come to think of it at that time, I wasn't even friends with anyone from that other school. And then when I asked her why she believed him, just because he's my friend, she said, Well, yeah, supposedly, because we always spend time together and he knows me very well, so whatever he says must be true about me. I was like, Wow, okay, I see. So right now you're concluding based on what other people say about me. Mm -hmm. She said, well, if they are friends, I guess I should believe them. Okay, but like, I'm going to be honest though. Like, okay, I'm not a big believer or a fan of young love. I feel like it's something we all need to experience and go through. Yeah, very, very rare cases where people end up together long term. But I feel like people need to just go through certain experiences mm. um do you honestly feel like y'all like y'all were meant to be vibes <laughs> and and i'm only asking now when you actually look back because you know it's been a couple of years so now when you look back do you feel like it was more of the hype of the fact that you know as women we want to feel chased you know we want to feel 
the attention that all these men want us and whatever. So do you honestly look back now and think, hey, me and her were really meant for it? Or was it just the whole, like you said, hood vibes or like guys and groups um, just going through that kind of thing? Um, at that time, well, I wasn't actually into that women-to-be kind of thing. Because for me, that was like, well, that's just, that's just something that happens in movies. And I'm not sure if it happens in real life, but maybe I'll experience it later. Mm. But now looking back at it, I feel like... You really loved her. I still do, unfortunately. Wow. And my pride keeps me in a cage, to be honest. Because I still have that pride that... Since that day, actually. Because from that conversation... I just didn't say anything more. I just felt there was nothing to justify. There's nothing to justify if there's no case. So I felt like I was out of words. I just turned a note home. Was she like not worth fighting for though? I mean, if you feel like you still love her today, you don't people fight for the things they truly care for? I know. I did, actually. And guess what? Since then, um... She always told me that she doesn't really trust me enough to be with me again because of what she was told about me. And well, that actually stuck to me as to, is her mind really, you know, I am really, I just might be offensive a bit, but actually she made, she made me mad. Okay. She got me really angry because she's smart. And for her to conclude on those, actually, those words and those stories, I She's having a dumb moment. <laughs> thank you for saying it first. I, I'm going to say it, uh, I don't know her, so I'm going to say it on behalf of her. She was having a, you feel like she was just having a dumb moment where you just couldn't conceptualize how everything about her makes sense and then this one thing just doesn't make. Exactly. For me, she was very dumb at that time. And... Since she told me that she doesn't really trust me enough to me again because of that, for me it's very kind of conflicting because I'm like, is she really that dumb to this day? Because honestly, I don't, I don't like finding myself in situations where she prove a point. And in such cases, what point would I be able to prove really? Because that guy is still there. And whenever he would see me talking to her after our breakup, he'd always be, he'd always want to do something just to get my attention. Mm. So I always ask myself as to why is she being this stupid? What, what would actually be the benefit of this? Because I love her. She loves me. She says it, but she's afraid of being with me again because of that and she thinks I may be fooling her and my pride was that you know what nah just fuck this I'm out of here I won't be able to stay in an environment where I'm the one who's actually supposed to work hard in the same cage and there's no development or success whatsoever so I still have that chick and sometimes I just She's the only girl I always look back at and be like, she's amazing. 
But that decision he made that day, actually, it was a Friday. That decision he made that day actually turned my whole perspective of her. That I just felt very differently. My love for her hasn't changed. The only thing I realized last year was that the more we spend time apart, the more I think of her. You know, since I started writing poems, I have seven poems I wrote about her during lockdown last year. Mm. And she knows none of them. I haven't shown any of them to her. I haven't given her any of them. Mm. Why? Your pride, we know. <laughs> <laughs> I do, yeah. Can I make a comment on an observation I'm witnessing? But I'm actually hungry. So... <laughs> okay, what's your comment? No, that's not my comment. I just need a snack. Hold on. Uh, okay. Yep, like we said, it's raw and sensitive. Welcome to life. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Because I can see this is now more of a love and relationship conversation, which is great because sometimes we decide that these are relevant things and then you realize halfway these other things that we need to deal with or discuss and they're always important. Yeah. And this is what I'm picking up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let me open this before it makes a noise. All right. So I'm going to play psychologist right now. Mm. <laughs> I I've, I've already done it. Because clearly we're having this conversation. I got you to talk about it. You know? Yeah, you like digging. You should, you should, you should be in the mining industry. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bobberton, you know. <laughs> I'm picking up that Meshach is a very emotional person. And with those emotions, you love hard. You trust hard. And you know, now, when we're going to get into it now, because now it makes sense from the small pieces that I know about you, your creative space or our creative spaces reflect our emotions. And now it makes me realize that, you know, that you're that emotional because you've got quite a few creative spaces. Correct? Yeah. You do a lot of writing, for one, um, and you do venture out and tap into any space that allows you to, you know, just release your creativity. So, yeah, let's first declare that you're an emotional person. Then I agree. And actually, I like that emotional person, but there's one thing that I don't like about myself. Sometimes I like it. My emotions are something that I actually don't like expressing. Um, more, more often than not, my friends say I'm heartless and I'm remorseless. Why? Because in situations that need, that actually need my deepest emotions, negative emotions to be exact, like depression, heartbreak, sadness. Anger. Yes, anger. Anger is one, is actually like the biggest one I have more often. So out of all those, I express almost none to people. And sometimes I prefer to think about it, about something than to feel about it. I want to think first before I feel. Mm. So, mm, sorry, continue. My emotions are actually a lot and I'm very, very emotionally unstable sometimes. You get me in an emotional environment, you'll have a problem because I will fight back just to keep my emotions 
from being expressed mm. because I feel like they make me vulnerable and I don't like that. I feel like I'll be in a space where I'm able to lose something if I'm vulnerable and it's obvious. So always I try to defend myself. So that's why I prefer to think than feel first. Each time I feel like someone is making me angry or someone is giving me a heartbreak, I don't think as to what will happen when I get heartbroken or when I get depressed or stressed. And then I'll be like, during that period within which I'm heartbroken and stressed about that, what will I be gaining? And then the answer I get is that only time loss. So losing time is something I don't like. So I prefer to say, okay, fine. Since this person is giving me this emotion, let me rather not entertain the emotion. It's like I let it slide while I still feel that way, that way, but I want to do something during that period within which I should be feeling that emotion. So I want to just do something to distract myself from it. And I know distractions from emotions are very dangerous because you end up having a relapse. So I don't know how I get around it, but somehow it works. But then let's talk about your creative space because I feel like you channel all of that into your creative work. But for people who don't know you, what what are the creative things besides, I mean, okay, let's talk about the fact that you're a writer. What kind of stuff do you write? You said you wrote seven poems, you know? So (laughs) I know that you've actually written a book as well and that you're currently busy with one. So let's talk about that, you know, some of your projects and your creative spaces where I personally believe you actually do channel those emotions. Well... Firstly, um, in writing, okay, I write a lot of poems, and I love writing poems, and seemingly I'm good at it. Um, I don't like self-proclaiming, so uh, I take I take it from feedback from other people. So for me to be able to say I'm good at writing comes from the fact that other people have declared it very good. So in writing poems, I don't like writing about feelings, especially love or romantic feelings and heartbreaks. But in many cases, I write a lot of love poems. I write more about love than I would like. So whenever I feel a certain emotion, whenever I'm feeling down, whenever I'm feeling angry, whenever I'm feeling in love, I would always write something. So to date, I've written more love poems than any other category of poems there are but all of which are lyrics. Just in all of my lyrics, I have more love poems. Um, Unfortunately, because uh, when I started writing, I never wanted to be a love poet. I felt felt that it was too cliche. Shakespeare, that's about love. Um, We need a black Shakespeare, I'm just saying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so for me, it's like love poems are too overrated and they are too cliche. I don't like cliche, so I like creating something new. Mm. So for me, um, I consider it as a, an unfortunate circumstance that I write more like poems. More often than not, it's because I flirt a lot. And that also, well, some other thing, well, relative, but out of context, I think, is that, well, I, I started flirting, studied it, and the same way I studied any other subject. <laughs> I went deep into flirting. <laughs> Why because specifically like flirting? <laughs> I just wanted to understand exactly what flirting is because I always, I always seen it in movies and I'm like, okay, so people flirting, more often than not, it leads to a relationship or it leads to a hookup and stuff. And I wanted to know exactly what is, I wanted to define the term. 
So I started it and I, I think it took me about a few days or almost a week. So the reason for that was because um, I wanted to be able to understand if I'm being romantic or if I'm just flirting. Because if you're being romantic, it can lead to a relationship or it can actually depict a certain feeling. But if you're flirting, you can flirt because you just want to make the person feel good about themselves or you just want to keep the conversation going. Because you can flirt with someone you've just met or someone you don't know, but you cannot be romantic with someone you don't know. So I wanted to be able to understand the the differences between those. So after I started flirting, yeah, well, let's just say things took a different turn, actually. Took an incline in this love poem writing thing because at that point, since then, I've always been more of a flirt than before. And I wrote more love poems in a very flirty way than before. When you look back at your work, like after your little study. Yeah. Mm. I'm like... The love poems I wrote before and the love poems I write now are different. The love poems that I wrote then were love poems that would make someone fall in love or that would actually be directed to a person in a relationship. Mm. And then the love poems I write now um, more of just slight uh, decrease in the deep romance and more of the flirting side. So in flirting, I found that my flirting makes people more comfortable and by definition um, I learned that flirting is actually making the other person feel better about themselves and also feel in love with what they're hearing and what they know about themselves at that time. So I've always had that in mind that whenever I'm with a girl, I never want to be with a girl and have an awkward moment. So I always use those skills to say, okay, let me and ensure that she's having fun and she's always smiling and that. Mm. So for me, those poems I wrote after I started flirting, anyone can read them and they can be directed specifically to anyone uh, without any subjectifying of anything. So since then, I'm like, all my poems now, but unfortunately in the book that I published, I didn't include some of the poems I wrote. So the poems I wrote after side flirting, those were just very flirty poems. And anyone can read those poems and feel like they're directed to them. But the ones I wrote before were specifically um, for each person that they're meant for. So my creative skills actually are... Flirting? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny, hey? You're making me think. Because I've been told I'm a flirt. And I'll be like... No, I'm not. And then I started saying, no, I, I enjoy banter. I like, I enjoy like back and forth. Mm. And now that you, you, the way like you're describing, you know, your study of flirtation and what it's about and your definition, I'm like, I think I'm actually a flirt, (laughs) but like now in a good way, because Mm. I think it does go back to what you're saying, making other people feel good with no, Mm. like, extra intent you know what i'm saying you're just doing it because that's who you are you know so um where do you draw your inspiration from well from my previous places Mm. or your flirting (laughs) poems well actually my inspiration for flirting um firstly it comes from i can just say beauty the beauty of art 
um, since I'm a writer, I love to look at things that are more intricate and profound. So whenever I see something, I always want the deepest detail of it, the interesting part of it that no one can perceive easily. So after I started flirting, my my intention was always with girls. It was always that whenever I'm with girls, I'd always want to look for the ones that are actually um, more conserved and self-absorbed. And I'd want to know those reasons. And when I met the person, my my questions would include what do you consider as your 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 major flaw, really. And my intent is actually to ensure that the person ends up not feeling the same way before I we met. Why? Because I want to make the person feel good about themselves, and I want to ensure that they feel normal. Because sometimes we will meet girls that are like, well. I'm not a people's person really. I always like to be in my own space and I don't like being around a lot of people because um, I'm scared of this and that and I have a lot of flaws so I'm not perfect like everyone. Mm. So I ask them about those imperfections really. When I find them, I turn, I turn them around into something they can be proud of, something they can actually show off about. So if for example some uh, girls t- a girl tells me that um, maybe she's afraid of being around people because um, of anything really, let's say, because she wears glasses and she's afraid that it makes her look too glamorous. Um, I turn that around and make it a good thing. I always make it a compliment, really. I have a lot of compliments, but always my compliments are designed from the floor that I eat in. So, out of all of those flaws, I ensure that at least 90% of them turn into compliments. And she's able to smile about her flaws and laugh about them. That way, I'm, I'm aware that, okay, that's an achievement because I made someone smile. And I compliment her based on that, too. Um, so, always, I'm just that guy who likes being around girls. Firstly, I like being around girls more than guys. <laughs> more, firstly, well, that's a Every long-standing guy. thing. Every guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I prefer to have many girlfriends than guy friends now you do you didn't back then but that's not the point though <laughs> so well me and having many girlfriends is because i just with girlfriends it's easy to make them laugh although it's hard to find the reason to make them laugh but once you do you can turn anything into magic as some people say mm. so i like making girls laugh and Grow up themselves, and when I have this idea that whenever I'm with, I meet someone new, I want to make sure that after we meet, something good happens in their life, or something better happens, and their life is actually better than before we met mm. in some way. So, for me, it's always been a journey that I took, and something I consider as an achievement if it happens. So, yeah, one of that's one of my creative spaces, and then there's writing, there's IT, there's leadership, and stuff. So, no, we're not even gonna go there. This is too more. This is like way more interesting, you know. Um, <laughs> we 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 had the conversation earlier about you know how we speak about education and black consciousness, and you know, black consciousness mm. does involve self awareness, especially of our emotions. You know, we don't always give ourselves yeah. enough time to reflect on that. By the way, you know that black is like really sexy on you. <laughs> Ooh, rate 
my flirtation. <laughs> rape me. Rape me. <laughs> I mean, I'm not lying though, but rape me though. Uh, you know, I would say definitely a 10 out of 10. Oh! For one reason. Okay, firstly, it was unexpected. Secondly, it was a shocking firework. And thirdly, I love black. And I always wear black. <laughs> so you actually tapped into one very big point that I always keep to myself. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, by the way. Thank you. Amen. Flirting. Banda. Now yeah, you know man. I'm going to put you on the spot. Hit me with your best flirtation poem or whatever. Actually, because we, we need evidence, you know. The people <laughs> want to hear what you got. <laughs> wow. I know that we just met. All right. Well, not now, but we just met. And I'd love to know more of you. I really want to go deep inside you. Like I'm trying to find a missing key. Although you have a lot in your trunk, but I can swim my way through. I know that if I can't, I have your hand right in mind to pull me back to. So I can just say I'm up for taking risks. I don't know what I'm swimming into, but I know that I'm tall enough to not drown. Okay. For um, use of creativity and words, I'll give you a two. <laughs> but for the intention, is definitely way more of that. It's a fail from my side. I'm sorry. <laughs> Look, as, you know where I'm saying this from? I'm like, if I didn't mm-hmm. even know you and you came up to me and said that, I'd be like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's very too cheesy. Mm. I know. And actually, I've realized that recently... Um, there are people actually who make me cheesy. Mm. I don't know for some reason why. For their own reasons, I guess. There are people who make me cheesy. I don't know. I've never uh, liked being cheesy. But they always make me want to do cheesy things. And uh, some guys actually call me cheese boy around township for some reason. Mm. And I'm not, I think. You're pretty deep, hey? Like, you like, ridiculously deep. Especially <laughs> for such a, a, a young person. You have, I call it soul, you know? And it makes sense now, now that you shared the fact that you're from a religious family. And people who know me know I'm not the biggest religious person. I'm more spiritual because it's always interlinked. Mm. And I feel like you're spiritual influence at home. But I feel like it's also very natural. You have this deep spirituality essence about you. So I can get it when, you know, cheesy isn't really you. Because mm-hmm. I feel like everything that you share, speak, write about comes from a deeper inner place. It's not just you brushing off the surface of what you see or hear. Yeah. And um, we, me having a lot of, well, let's just say a lot of strong emotions and being emotional. Um, somehow it led to me writing a, a few poems about my interpersonal life. And those poems are poems that actually, funny enough, after finishing writing that book or compiling all my poems in that book, those interpersonal poems that are in that book, for the first two times that I read my book after publishing it, I was, you know, I tried to read the whole book. I read the poems. The first chapter is Daily Beloved and that consists of black poems. And then the second one actually is Me, Myself and I. That one is the interpersonal poems section and it is a lot of them. Um, it starts off 
with the kind of just personal poems, you know, you can tell this person's telling some emotions about themselves and how they feel at this point and what they felt when writing this poem and what the poem was about really, what got them to feel this way. And then as you go further into the book, there are other poems that are interpersonal are just the poems that led to me not being able to read it fully mm. for the first two times. The first time I was in my bed at night and I I was reading it and when I got there, I just lost my breath. You lost your breath at your own work. I, I, I You know, I, I almost cried. Yeah. Because I was reading the book as someone who, who just started reading the book, who doesn't know the book. Mm. And I put myself in that person's shoes and I was like, okay, let me read the book and see what what this book really can do to a person or what this book can actually accomplish in someone's life. Mm. When I got to that chapter, especially the poem Save Me, Uncontrollable, those poems are way too personal. Those poems, they made me almost cry. And at that point, I just closed my laptop and I went to bed right away. The second time, same thing happened. I couldn't finish those poems and they are long. Those poems are just, for me, they're just too deep because they include how I felt at some point regarding my, my life at home, my expectations of the life I should have at home, my parents and how they made me feel at times. So they are more like I'm complaining in those poems and just feeling super sad. Mm. And when I'm reading them, each time I'm like, I am really afraid of publishing these poems because what would happen if other people would find out or if my family reads these poems? Mm. What would they think of me? Because that's exactly how I feel. And the reason that the only thing that got me to be able to publish the poems and get them out there for other people to read is because I found that being a writer, means that I'm actually supposed to get my work out there and I'm supposed to let them know what exactly got me into writing yeah. and passing on the message, being truthful and being honest for yourself. So if I'm writing a poem, since I'm writing lyrics, I don't do sonnets yet. So yeah. Those Sorry, poems, it's my mom. <laughs> my mom is calling me, I know it's so weird. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, continue. So anyway, um, those poems for me are just too personal and currently anyone can read them now. Yeah. Um, the book is on Amazon also. I just put it on Amazon recently. And um, that reason that got me to publish the poems um, so much, it was only one reason, the fact that I'm, that I'm a writer, that I want people to understand what it means to be a writer, what it means, the risks you have to take, such as the people you don't want actually to know about these things in your life, mm. they will end up knowing them because being a writer means you are able to pass on the message to other people for their own development and betterment. So I just, that was the only thing that kept me from stopping or from deleting those poems and editing them out of the book. I think that's what I actually wanted to really ask you. Where do you hope to see your work one day? What do you hope your work will do? And I'm not talking about next week and next month and next year, but mm. what do you ultimately hope that what I see as passion, um, authenticity, talent, skill, um, reflection of who you are, what are you hoping it cultivates to? 
uh, one day for other people and in their spaces and which kind of spaces do you hope to see your, your, your creativity leak into? Well, firstly, um, where I see my work or what I see my work doing in the future is the fact that in writing, I'm not looking for income initially or rather I'm just say the first thing I'm looking for is not income because well I learned that when I was younger before I started writing when I started actually writing poems for myself back then I found that writing is a lot of work and then later on I found that okay writing can make a lot of money and stuff but I learned writing so during that period of learning writing and what it means to be a writer I actually developed my own definition of my work to say that People write to make money, they write to sell, and they write to pass on the message. For me, it was writing to pass on the message. For me, it was always development. I always want someone to be developed in a certain way after reading what I wrote. I always want people to be different in some way, a better way, after meeting me or my work. I want to write for a purpose of developing someone or enhancing someone's skill in a way and their personal growth really so for me currently as it is now i'm writing i have one published book and i'm currently writing three books and there's a lady who approached me and wanted me so that's a fourth book that i'm writing a short story that i should be editing so i'm writing three books currently and out of all these books i see actually none of them being my source of income of course they will bring income but I don't take it as a source of income. For me, it's a way of me, since I cannot meet everyone and talk to them, writing would be a way for me to pass on the message because they are developmental and some of these books are motivational books and inspirational. Yeah. So um, I want people to read those books and understand exactly what it means to be a writer or what it means to write after reading that content because that content will develop them in a way. So I want them to understand that I wrote that book and it got to them because I couldn't. So my work got to them. Mm. Because uh, a friend of mine, my mentor, Tuso actually once told me that, don't be everywhere, let your work be everywhere. That way you'll get better recognition and you'll be called for your work. Mm. So uh, in writing, I use that as well. So I just want people to understand what it means to write and being able to be developed by my work. So I just want it to be something that leaves a footprint, a mark, in someone's life and say, this guy actually did this and I actually gained this from learning something from him. Mm. So I learned this from this person and how he did it and what it means actually to do this. Mm. So I can also do something better for myself or something better for anyone out there. For me, I always prefer helping someone else before myself. I put a pool first. Although in other departments, that's, it, that's actually a risk, but it's actually when it comes to personal growth, I take it seriously because for me, I just want everyone to be developed in any way possible because I want people to have this idea that you can actually develop yourself without having to lose anything. You just need your mind. In one of my books, I had this quote that your mind is actually the biggest or the greatest and most powerful weapon you have in the world. So if you want to go to work or you want, you're looking for a job, you go to school, you go to university, you graduate, and you apply for a job, you get hired. Mm. That was your mind at work, firstly. You decided to learn that job, you decided to want to look for a job. You could have graduated and stayed home, you could have graduated and killed yourself. 
but you want you thought of something that would give you income you thought of something that would develop you in a certain way and mm. lead you to your goal so you thought of something so if you can think of such if you can think of waking up in the morning and going to class how can you not think of something that would develop you in the next 10 years of something that would change other people's lives in the next 10 years so for me that's always been that's always been the goal and especially in writing because I just want that and that's why I endeavored in leadership student development so I just want people to be developed out there. I in out of all my books the one that would, that should bring the most income is the poetry book my thoughts in my mind and the second one which is after this I looked and I saw which is about weed. So those two books are actually the ones that I'm looking forward to uh to getting more feedback from and also reaching more people and being able to change something in someone's life. Mm. So I'm I'm just not looking for them to be my source of income because I don't for me they are just a source of network because Tuso told me that your network is your net worth. So it's about where you are and who you know, what you do that will lead you to succeeding towards something. So your work and skills are what should bring you what you want, what you desire. Because after that, you'll be able to decide or choose from anything that comes to you as to what out of those you want. So for me, it's always been about development and personal growth for other people. As long as I'm able to grow someone else, I'm happy. So I just don't, you know, see us the way I am. Interesting. Love, life, relationships. <laughs> spirits, emotions, you know. Our own life is pretty interesting conversation for me to have. If anything, I'm already reflecting <laughs> in my <laughs> own space. Um thank you. <laughs> thank you for being open and honest. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for tapping into a, a space that a lot of people call sensitive, you know, and um for me i wish you nothing but the best whenever i meet creatives and people who have touched with their passion and their true core and they allow it to reflect in their lives that always makes my heart sing for joy because it's exactly what you were saying if you love something so much you don't expect anything in return especially when it comes to finding your passion in the creative arts you do it because you want people to resonate with you and gain what you have without you getting some sort of either compensation or acknowledgement and stuff. So I wish you nothing but the best. It's been a pleasure. Um, it's our time. We've got to wrap things up. And this is how I usually wrap things up here. Um, I always ask you to say your name and that you are now officially an African sung hero because now your story's been sung <laughs> yeah, yeah so take it away well my name is Mishek Matiwanzela and I am now an African sung hero thank Woo! you and Woo! thank you for this platform as well yeah and one more thing um you know I always leave my listeners with a recital of some sort you know something Please that sits yeah Please don't. yeah man no and he is gonna do it because he's not he is <laughs> i don't i'm not even bothered whether it's something that you know you've written already or it's just gonna be impromptu but you're gonna you're gonna actually do this version on this podcast for me so take <laughs> it away <laughs> well, I like to, can i read it though 
Yeah, of course. Whatever you, know, you are I, comfortable with. I don't. I don't really like being put on spot. You know that very well. And that's why I'm putting you on the spot because the world needs to see what it looks like when life is real. And you are being unfair. <laughs> <laughs> Super unpredictable. Am I? Am I really? So yes, yeah, really. This is this for me is such a fun podcast because for starters, this is my first podcast in the dormitory. We yes, guys, we are in dorm address. So yeah, that's exciting for me. And the fact that you're actually going to be closing my show, which is more weird. <laughs> wow. Because <laughs> I closed my own show. Um, so yeah, um, with that said, we're wrapping things up. My name is Zabedi. This is Africa's Unsung Heroes. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I, I'm going to leave the floor to him because I don't think there's much I can say after that. But you guys know I always leave you with my three words, which is love, love. But wherever you go, be safe in your journey. So, Mishak, when you're good and ready, wow. take it away. Your kisses. Kisses are rare. Only because people like you are rare. I'm not dancing, but when you kiss me in the moonlight, the moon surely feels under my feet. Michael Jackson has nothing on me. Kisses are like tears. The only real ones are the ones you can't hold back. That's how you make me feel, because with you, I can't hold back. The kiss isn't much, but it's quite a poem when it comes from you. Precious is the word I use. The lovely taste, whose appetite I'd never lose. I'm not a mind reader, nor can I read lips, unless they're touching mine. So please, grant me this one wish to read yours. I can't fathom how much love there is in this called mine. Your lips are an entrance into Wonderland, where I lose myself in the projection of your love. That'll be it.